reading begins in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel on page 282 of the Church Bibles, uh, beginning at verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. <coughs> Excuse me. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy, a boy wearing a linen ephod, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old and heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and to favour and in favour with the Lord and with men. Continuing on in chapter 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. 
Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from the beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever, because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for the sac- by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Eli answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. I wonder if you've ever been uh, disappointed uh, with a leader. Well, I don't really need you to respond. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, We have high expectations of leaders, don't we? We expect them to do their job with skill. We expect them to lead diligently. And we expect them to be above reproach in their leadership and in their personal lives as well. We expect a lot of our leaders. And we've come to expect very little of our leaders. Uh, In the church, there have been a lot of scandals. There's been the Royal Commission. In the business world, we really just think people are in it for themselves. The Banking Royal Commission made that pretty clear. And we're pretty set as Australians that politicians just go in it for themselves. We expect so much of leaders and we expect so little of leaders. We are so cynical and critical about leaders. And it's a bit of a leadership crisis, I think you'd have to say. Our, um, our opinion, our confidence in our leaders has never been so low. And though we still get tempted to think the next new leader will be a good one, we've sort of given up hope. Like I said, as we come to this book of of 1 Samuel, it's really about looking for a leader. And I want us to see tonight that knowing God 
changes how you think about your leaders and how you speak about your leaders and it changes the hope you have for a leader who can make a difference. There was certainly a leadership crisis happening amongst God's people, the people of Israel. If you remember, uh, in the book of Judges, it was a pretty sordid tale. Right at the end of the book of Judges, it says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They abused God, they abused people, because there were no leaders to lead them. And when you open the book of 1 Samuel, which is the next bit of the history, uh, there seems to be an absence of leaders. There was a certain man called Elkanah from some town you haven't heard of, from a family you haven't heard of, and you're going, why are we opening with nobodies when the big issue is leadership? But it gets worse. For tonight we read about Hophni and Phinehas. Eli the priest's sons. We read the story there, didn't we, from verse 13. There's a bit of detail there to follow about the sacrifices, but you get the general gist, don't you? These men were greedy for food, and they used their power, their leadership, to get what they wanted. God had provided them for the food of the sacrifices, but their practice, literally the word is their justice, was to be greedy and to make sure they got the better cuts of the meat. They'd worked out this thing with a fork and they knew how to thrust the fork into just the right spot. It wasn't random, I don't reckon, and that way they got the good bits and whatever they pulled out was there and what was left was for the Lord. That wasn't enough. They wanted not just the better cuts but the better cooking. They didn't want their meat boiled, I mean... Who does? Uh, They wanted it raw so they could get it roasted. And so the faithful Israelite comes wanting to do his worship to the Lord and offer his sacrifice for the forgiveness of his sins. And there is the servant brought in by these priests and, and saying, look, give it to them raw and if you won't do it, I'll take it by force. It's exploiting. It's intimidating. And they get others to do their dirty work. They're greedy for food and they use their power to get it. They're not only greedy for food, they're greedy for sex. Do you see what it said in verse 22? They're sleeping with the women who serve in the temple. Now it might be that these two sons just happen to be really good looking. It might be that they are really charming. But I think it's more likely they use their power. They harassed women. They used their leadership to get what they wanted. And that's ugly, isn't it? They abuse people because they're greedy for food and greedy for money. And this is not just anyone, this is God's people. This is at the tabernacle, these are the priests, wicked leaders who abuse people. Now Eli, their father, there's no sign here, I reckon, that that he's greedy. He doesn't use his power to get the food that he wants that he wants, or the women that he wants. But he's weak as. He hears what his sons are doing. That is, he hears, he's not there, he's not paying any attention much, but the word gets back to him. And to his credit, he does confront them about it. He does speak to them about it. Verse 23. Why do you do such things, he said. 
I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my son, it's not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. It's good that he confronts them. He asks them a question and he does give them a warning in verse 25 about what's going to happen. God's going to judge them. But he seems a little concerned with the reputation amongst the people, don't you think? That's his primary concern. It's PR, public relations. And what does he do? He should step them down at the very least. He should punish them. But what does he do? Nothing. Imagine if I heard that one of our leaders was uh, abusing the children in our Sunday school. And so I go to them and say, why do you do such things? It's not a good report that I'm hearing amongst the church and the word's getting out amongst the local community as well. This is bad public relations and the Lord will judge you. You know that? And then I let them keep on teaching Sunday school. What would you think of that? That's weak, isn't it? In fact, that is so weak, that is wicked. And that's exactly what Eli does. And it's not just because he's old. When God confronts him about it in verse 29, God says, why do you honor your sons more than me? Why do you enjoy the meat? It seems he's getting his cut as well rather than doing what you should. They're wicked, they're weak, they abuse people. And because they're priests in abusing people, they're also abusing God. They treat the Lord's sacrifice with contempt and Eli honors his sons more than God. It's shocking what these priests are like. It's shocking, but it doesn't surprise us, does it? In fact, this sounds very familiar and very modern. Church leaders are greedy for money. Church leaders who are greedy for sex and use their power to get it. Business and political leaders who are greedy to line their own pockets. And we've heard so many stories of weak leaders who don't deal with greedy, wicked leaders properly and so therefore allow them to abuse people. It's shocking, but not surprising. In fact, we're so used to this, we're a bit resigned to it, I reckon. We expect our leaders to be like this. In fact, in the US election, people were so keen that they get someone who would have the right policies in their view that they were resigned to putting up with whoever they might get. And so when candidate Trump, when a tape came out of him boasting about using his fame to fondle women two weeks before the election, they still voted for him. Because people just figured, oh well, what do you expect of people? with power. But God doesn't want us to shrug. There's no sign of a shrug here in this passage, is there? He doesn't want us just to be cynical about this. He doesn't want us to defend people like this. Do you see what he says here? In God's word it says, verse 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. Literally the phrase is they're sons of worthlessness. And the last time that phrase is used is about the men who rape and murder the concubine back at the end of Judges, you might remember. That ugly, despicable act. 
That's what the Bible thinks they are like. Wicked leaders and weak leaders. No matter how common it is, how cynical we are, this matters. And character matters when you're voting for a political leader. Yes, they can do the job. Yes, they've got the right policies. But you need someone with a good character, don't you? Otherwise, they're going to use their power in whatever situations come up for their own greed. And when people do get found out to be wicked and weak in their leadership and when they get what's coming to them, we ought to cheer because I think that's what God does. We should expect a lot of our leaders. It's right to be critical. It's right to demand justice, but we shouldn't be surprised. Do you see, this was happening 3,000 years ago. It's been happening ever since, that wicked and weak leaders abuse people and abuse God. Why does it keep happening, do you think? Verse 12 makes it clear, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Literally, it says, they did not know the Lord. You say, how can that be? They're priests at the tabernacle. How can they not know the Lord? Of course they know the Lord. They know the law, but they have rejected it. They have rejected God. They know him and they've rejected him. They become wicked and God hands them over and he's going to judge them. That ought to sound familiar to us. For in Romans 1, it says that we knew God, but we neither gave thanks to him nor glorified him and God handed it over to our greed and our sexual immorality and he is going to judge us. They did not know the Lord. But Romans 1 is not about leaders. It's about people. It's about all mankind. That's why leaders keep on being like this. They are wicked and weak. You know why? Because they're people. So we shouldn't be surprised. And we shouldn't be so cynical and judgmental about our leaders. You know, if you heard people say, it doesn't matter who you vote for, it'll still be a politician who gets in. There's some truth in that, but it's too harsh. It's too cynical and it's too proud. It'd be better to say it doesn't matter who you vote for, it'll still be a human being who gets in, just like you. And we ought to stop thinking that if I was a politician, if I was one of those leaders, I would do better. See, what's the main difference between someone like Trump and me? It's not that he's more wicked than I am. It's that he's got more power, more opportunity for his wickedness. So we should be critical of wicked leaders. We should not be surprised by wicked leaders, but we should not be proud. And I think most of us are. Why should we think that we would be any different if we had that power? Well, when you realise that, you've got to ask the question, what hope is there for our leaders? 
If there were wicked and weak leaders back then, 3,000 years ago, and there are still today, and there was all the way in between, and the reason for that is because they're all human beings, you realise then that the next new leader, no matter how good he or she seems, won't fix the problem. What hope is there? Well, on Mother's Day, Mother Hannah speaks the hope. If you look back there in chapter 2, we looked at it last week, but chapter 2, verse 3, Hannah says, The Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. What hope is there? Our God says he knows, and he will bring down wicked leaders. Eli knew, he knew what his sons were up to, but he did nothing. So God speaks to Eli. Verse 27, he sends a man of God to speak to him. And he, he indicts him, he charges him. I revealed myself to your father's house. I chose your father's house. I gave your father's house the sacrifices. So why are you scorning me like this? God asks him a series of questions. But God's going to do something. Verse 30. I promised that your house would be the priest before me forever, but no way, says God. Far be it from me to honour someone who dishonours me. You're out, you and your family. Not only have you lost the role, the job of being priest, that honour, your family is in deep trouble as well, and no one will live to an old age. And how will you know that this is really going to happen? Well, on the same day, your two wicked sons, they will both die. And you will know that judgment has come upon your house. The Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. What hope is there? When there are greedy and weak leaders who abuse people and God, the Lord says he's a God who knows, and he will bring down those leaders, not only Eli's house, but all wicked leaders. Hannah says he will judge the ends of the earth in the church, outside the church. And we ought to praise God when he does that. Whether it's in your workplace and there's a bad leader and they get found out they're corrupt or something and they get kicked out, or in a school where there are some bullies and they get dealt with, or our political leaders, or even our church leaders. God does that. He judges and brings people down. But so often, wicked leaders get away with it, don't they? I was stunned this week. My wife was reading a book, and there was this passing reference to a mass killing that happened in Indonesia. I'd never heard of it. 1965, which is not that long ago, Somewhere between 500,000 and 3 million people were massacred in the space of just a few months. There had been an attempted coup and 12 people were killed. So the military and the government decided to respond fairly heavy-handedly, you'd have to say, and slaughtered people right across the islands, including in the island of Bali. One in 20 people in Bali were murdered. The government backed it. And the Western governments backed it. 
You wonder why? Because it was the Communist Party they were destroying. And so we all thought it was a good idea, apparently, in the West. It's 50 years ago. And in those 50 years, no one has been brought to justice. There are still people who everyone knows were involved, but the government made no attempt at justice. Why not? Because the leader of the government, Suharto, had come to power as a result and ruled that nation for the next 30 years. Finally, he resigned and no one could bring him to trial because he was too old and sick and he simply died of an old age, having embezzled the government of $30 billion. So often, the wicked leaders get away with it. I've been talking to everyone, you can tell what I'm like, can't you, in the last few days. I haven't met one Australian yet who's ever heard of it. Isn't that extraordinary? This is our nearest neighbour. But the Lord is a God who knows. The Lord is an avenger and he has an end game. And the end game is for his king, the Lord Jesus, to deal with this and to deal with every single one of them and to deal with it properly. Are you embarrassed about judgment? Do you wish that wouldn't be there in the gospel somewhere, that Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead? Why would you be embarrassed? This is fantastic news. Wicked leaders like Hophni and Phinehas and Suharto will be judged and get what they deserve. What hope is there for leadership? God brings down wicked leaders, sometimes in this life, most definitely in the next. But we need more than that, don't we? It's one thing, good, to bring down wicked leaders, but we actually need good leaders. Hannah says he humbles and exalts. He brings strength to his king and will exalt his anointed. So in the midst of God saying to Eli, I'm going to destroy your house, he says, chapter 2, verse 35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. God says, I'll bring down your house and I'll raise up a new set of priests. How do you know God can do it? How do you know he will do it? Well, that's obvious as you read the story, isn't it? In chapter 2, it's very dark. These wicked and weak leaders, but every few verses we hear about the little boy. Verse 11, verse 18, verse 21, verse 26. Samuel is right there. He's growing in favor with the Lord and with men, verse 26. As if the author is saying, look, it's very dark. God's going to bring down these priests, but keep your eyes on Samuel. Chapter 3, it's dark indeed. It's night time. Eli can barely see anyway, and the word of the Lord is rare, verse 1. But the lamp of God, verse 3, has not yet gone out. Can you see the symbolism? The ark of God is still there. And through this 
touching and sentimental and good for Sunday school story. Samuel hears a voice and God is revealing himself to Samuel through his word. And by the end of the chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, Samuel brings the word of God to all Israel. He's the new priest. He's the new prophet. God will raise up the leader we need. Centuries later, in the darkness of King Herod's reign, there was another mother, Mother Mary, and she prayed a similar sort of prayer. And there's one little boy, and he grows in favor, Luke says, with God and man. God raises up a new priest, a new prophet. And Jesus is not wicked. He doesn't abuse people. And he's not weak, is he? He deals with wicked leaders. And he is God's word to us. In the past, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken by his son. Do you see? God brings down wicked leaders. And he promises and does raise up the leader we need. Next Saturday, we're going to elect a leader for our nation. Please pray for that. Please, those of you who are voting, choose well. But he won't be the leader that we need in the end. We have that leader already, God is saying. The faithful leader who brings God's word to us, who we can trust, who we can follow. We have a leadership crisis. Our opinion of leaders is so low. And with good reason. For all of our leaders are human beings like us. And we have very good news that God is going to judge wicked leaders. And he's already raised up the leader we need. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who knows. We thank you so much that you know about the wicked and weak leaders throughout our world. And we know you will bring them down. That you are a God who knows and who will judge the earth. Help us to see that as good news and that it will give us confidence. And Father, we thank you so much too that you're not just a God who brings down but who brings up. That you gave the people Samuel to be the leader they needed and that you have given us Jesus. You've spoken to us through him. We pray that our focus would be on him no matter how good at times other leaders seem. That he would be our leader. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.